Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast, friend of the show. And Mike, it's really good to talk with you once again, man. How are you doing this afternoon? Hey, doing great, guys. Thanks, as always, for having me on the show. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me just ask you this, because I know we talk college football and you know, with, the, with a few other people, too, and I think everybody kind of goes along and gives their different answers and everything. But I'm curious to know from your perspective, spring football, particularly here in the SEC, has there been any storyline? I mean, has there been anything that's really stood out more so than just, oh, the, this player, this new quarterback or whatever? Like, if you were going to choose one major headline of SEC spring football, what would be the one thing you'd point to? Probably what I saw last weekend, John, with Alabama spring game with uh, the offensive line. Just Now, I know – you know, they've got Will Anderson, who, in my opinion, he should be maybe the favorite to win the Heisman this year. So they have a, an elite edge rusher there. They had to take Will Anderson out of the game. But, my goodness, they could not block anybody. And that was the same issue Alabama had last season. And I don't know if you and your listeners are aware of this, but Alabama had to pick up a, a transfer from Vanderbilt just to secure that offensive line. And, and that's just where the state of Alabama's offensive line is. So, I'm not sitting here saying doom and gloom for Alabama. They're, they're still going to be picked to win the West and, and probably win the SEC. But, you know, when you have a star quarterback, that, that's not the full story. The full story is protection. And they couldn't protect him many times last season, and it nearly cost him a couple games. So I think that's a huge storyline that's being underreported, that uh, Alabama may have a huge, huge flaw with their offensive line. Who's uh, some of the buzz about as far as the new starting quarterbacks coming into the league this year? Uh, for me, the, when you want to talk new starting quarterbacks, it starts with uh, Spencer Rattler, who Arkansas fans should get to know now because uh, the Gamecocks are coming to Fayetteville, and I'm not saying South Carolina's going to come in here and upset them, but South Carolina you know, got a lot of momentum the tail end of last season, and they've been hitting that transfer portal pretty hard, I think. You know, I, I do think it's a joke. You'll see these Heisman odds coming out here, and Spencer Rattler, is his name is at the top of the list. I'm not saying he's that type of player, but for a team that won seven games last year, with they had to start the year with a, a GA as a quarterback. They took a coach off the staff to put him on, on the field, and they managed to win seven games. With Spencer Rattler, I mean, there's potential there for them to be an eight, nine, maybe even a 10-win team. So, that's going to be a very, very dangerous game, I think, right out the gate for uh, the Razorbacks. Well, and, you know, speaking to that, Mike, I guess my thing is is where he came, he was at Oklahoma where it was, you know, quarterback you. I mean, they, they were putting out number one overall picks, Heisman Trophy winners, Heisman Trophy candidates. And, you know, when Rattler got there, he had his struggles. And I guess that would be my one reservation about him is like, man, if he couldn't go to at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley and, and find a way to be successful – what will make him go to South Carolina where you're going to play more difficult teams and maybe not have as much talent surrounding you to where you can find success in that system? Well, see, I push back a little bit on that, John, when people say he's not successful because he lost his two first games as a starting quarterback his freshman season, and then he went on to win his next 14. He never lost a game. He won a Big 12 championship. He threw for 40 touchdowns. He completed over 70% of his passes. He only had 10 interceptions, I believe. So you say that's not successful. That's some of the best stats in the country. And I realize he's going to be facing better defenses. The, the, the coaching is certainly not going to be there. But 
to me, again, it goes back to what is South Carolina? They were a seven-win ball club with virtually no passing game. So you insert a guy that is fully capable of pushing the ball down the field or being accurate. I'm not sitting here saying he should be winning the Heisman or South Carolina's going to win the East, but I just think they're going to be a lot closer to a 10-win team than a 5-win team with uh, Spencer Rattler and some of the other transfers they've added this offseason. Speaking of Heisman odds, K.J. Jefferson at 80-1 to 1 according to FanDuel. Yeah, I mean, I still I, I sit here and laugh at that. I mean, last year it was K.J. Jefferson, the worst quarterback in the SEC. I don't know, uh, you know, why in the world that was even uttered. Uh, and now we got K.J. Jefferson, you know, I, I think his odds probably put him at like eight or ninth best quarterback to win uh, the Heisman out of the SEC behind some, some pretty average quarterbacks at best. So K.J. Jefferson, I, I know I already hit on Will Anderson, but if you want an underrated value bet to win the Heisman Trophy, it's my man K.J. Jefferson. Kendall Browse has never had a quarterback return for him as a starting quarterback. He's getting that in K.J. Jefferson. The last quarterback that I'm aware of that's uh, had two, two years starting in a row in this system was a guy named R.G. Three who won the Heisman Trophy at Baylor. So, again, I'm not guaranteeing K.J. is going to win it or anything, but at 80-1 to 1 odds, that's a wager that I'm willing to bet on. Uh, I think K.J. Jefferson, his game takes another step up. And, you know, I'd probably rate him as the number two quarterback in the SEC. Well, when you say number two quarterback in the SEC, I think most Racerback fans would definitely even respect that because, you know, listen, Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, he's going to be number one. But if you're just saying the SEC, where's he at in college football? Like, where would you see some other places and other conferences, maybe some other quarterbacks that – might be there ahead of them if you're just ranking all of college football players or college football quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I you know the the kid from Ohio State, he seems incredible. His, his numbers are off the charts. I've only watched him a couple games. I saw him lose to Michigan, so I kind of dock him for that. But he looked incredible in the bowl game when they beat Utah, I believe it was. So you got to put him up there. But when you're saying top in the SEC, what you're really saying, in my opinion, is Best in the country. And I know Southern Cal's got the Caleb Williams. Maybe you throw him into the race. That's why Spencer Rattler lost his job. But, yeah, K.J. Jefferson, in my mind, you got to put him as a top-five quarterback in all of college football. And it's not for the reigning national – not national champion, but SEC champion, Heisman Trophy winner, K.J. Jefferson would be the top quarterback in the SEC and in discussion for maybe the best quarterback in the country. You have K.J. ranked higher, and you say he's one of the best values as far as Heisman Trophy betting odds. Another guy that's ranked ahead of him, Anthony Richardson from Florida. How, how does that make sense for Anthony Richardson to have better Heisman odds at 60-1? to 1? You know, I think it's just because Florida's that big name, and they have a, a proud tradition of producing these Heisman Trophy winners. But, uh, you know, for being realistic, Man, they're, they're on cloud nine down there in Gainesville. They think the Gators are back. This, they're going to threaten Georgia this year. I don't see it. But if that were to happen, I mean, they certainly do have talent. They're going to have, um, you know, let's not – Billy Napier's not taking over a roster devoid of talent, but he is taking over a roster that's severely lacking depth. So it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, to be honest with you, Joe, but when we did see Anthony Richardson last season, it, it was against weak competition, but he looked lights out. So – I think you're getting some some money on that as well. I think if Florida is going to over exceed expectations, it's going to be 
because of Anthony Richardson, is a Cam Newton-esque type player. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, it's going to be on his shoulder. So I I kind of would put a little bit of money, not as much as I put on KJ Jefferson, but I put a I put a buck or two on the on Richardson to potentially make a run like him. Speaking with Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast here on Out of Bounds. Uh, Michael, one of the things that uh, is coming out today and something I know that you've talked about, pretty much everybody in college football has talked about, is that the NCAA is working to adjust some of the rules that they have, just like they do every year. But in particular, uh, with targeting, and this is coming from Nicole Auerbach, uh, it says in games that ha- that have instant replay, when a targeting foul occurs in the second half, the carryover penalty of sitting out the first half of the next player's game will be eligible for further a- re- appeal. So you can appeal that and possibly be eligible to come back. I know in faking injuries, they're trying to address that too. When it comes to you know possibly you know giving team, they've looked at all different avenues like giving teams a free substitution after first downs, whatever it may be. But uh, what would you make of some of the rule changes there? And uh, do you think that targeting is they're fine doing adjustment, or do you think they need to do more when it comes to figuring out how to make that better? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that they're adjusting these because I, I think we all admit it's it's a foolish thing when a, when a guy gets a you know it could be the very first play of the second half yet he has to miss the first half of the next game. I mean, it's illogical. Um, I would like to see you know uh, Arkansas fans know it well. Jalen Catalan. I mean, the guy plays at 100 miles per hour, so when he hits somebody, sometimes it looks vicious. But when you go back to replay, you see it's a clean hit. They've already flagged him for it, so they got to review it. And I, I think a couple of times it's gone the wrong way for the Razorbacks, and he's had to sit out. So, you know, at, at times I hate the rule. And I, if I were to go a step further, I think there needs to be, uh, you know, I'm not a huge soccer fan or anything, but I like the fact that they have, like, the yellow card and the red card. And if it's truly malicious and it, and it just looks like you're headhunting, yeah, throw a guy out. But if he comes into contact because the carrier's lowering his head and he comes into him, I think that's a yellow, and if a, if a player does it twice, then maybe sit him out. You know, I think there needs to be more leeway, and this rule is particularly atrocious because you can get flagged for targeting in one season. We've seen it happen, and it carries over to the next season. I mean, how illogical is that? So hopefully they fix this to where players don't have to be missing the next game over a, a, a foolish targeting call. Is there anything more that can be done to adjust the faking injuries? Is it uh, what they've proposed so far? Do you like what's been proposed, or would you like to see more done? Yeah, you know, it goes for me. It goes back to uh, you know making a player sit for a series. And I know some people will say, "Well, that's not fair because uh, you know, you know, maybe a, a player that's truly injured could he couldn't go back just for the series, but." At the end of the day, I mean, I thought we were trying to emphasize player injury, and if a guy's really banged up, what sense does it make to, for him to miss a play and then say, okay, run back out there? I mean, if, if you're truly hurt or whether you're faking it, whatever, either way, uh, you know, you should probably have to sit out the rest of the series unless you got a timeout and you're willing to burn it. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good rule right there that, that needs to be implemented because, uh, I mean, it was just week in and week out. And I hated seeing it from Ole Miss, but at the same time, I got to credit Lane Kiffin because there's no rule penalizing it. So it's it's poor gamesmanship. The rest of the SEC hates it, but until they put in some procedures like this, they're just going to keep doing it next season. They're going to do it against Arkansas. If they were to meet Tennessee, they'll do it again. 
So, you know, something needs to be done because uh, Lane Kiffin has found a little crack in the rule book, and, and he's exploited it, no doubt. Is there any other rules or any other things you'd like to see adjusted in college football? Because I know everything gets talked about as far as even if it's not just rules, but just adjustments to the game itself. Is there anything else you'd like to see done or changed? Uh, you know, I honestly, I wouldn't mind. I love the fact that the clock stops after a first down because it, it just leads to good comebacks. But it's kind of crazy that uh, some of these games now are going four, four and a half hours long. So, I would maybe change it in college football to where the clock doesn't stop on a first down unless we're getting into, say, the last two minutes of each half. I think that makes sense. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just think the games are, are just on the brink of being a little bit too long. And, again, we go back to player safety and just the tempo of these offenses. You're leading to sometimes 100, 120 snap counts, and that can't be good for the players either. So. Uh, I would be in favor of them kind of amending that rule to where the clock doesn't always have to stop whenever you're moving the chain. What more was done to adjust the fake slide rule? This is something that we really only saw one case of, and they got dealt with pretty quickly, but there's been some more adjustments to it, apparently, with the new rules. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it wild how, I mean, they can immediately do something about that, yet the fake injuries, it always it takes them years to kind of figure it out, but uh, <laughs> that one I've not been following the, the fake slide one. I know it was the Pitt quarterback that did it, and uh, I believe he scored a touchdown on the play, if I'm not mistaken. But thankfully, we've not seen that in the SEC yet, because I think if you start faking, uh, a quarterback's going to get killed out there with these SEC defenders. So I'm just glad that uh, that they're kind of addressing that, because I don't want to see anyone get hurt on the field. Yeah, that was my thing is, like, it just I, – I get that there's some rules that are just uh, clear as crystal, like you got to change and everything like that. But, you know, when we go back to the whole targeting thing, it's just – there's not – there's so few games, and you're talking about kids that play in so few games as a college athlete and how much it can impact the game and stuff. It's just like one of those things that should be a, a no-brainer, you know? Like, it should just be a simple fix. But, you know, sometimes it, it, they're so quick and active on other things, too – that, I don't know. It just always makes me just wonder, like, what, what's the problem? Like, what's the holdup? What's, what's the pro and con list that you guys are coming up with to keep the targeting rule from being an obvious thing? Because I think what you said uh, when you go back to the targeting, what you'd like to see is what most people would want to see, some form of that, you know? Yeah, and particularly, I mean, I mentioned Jalen Catalan, but, you know, it's not unique to Arkansas. I mean, this is across the SEC, across college football. I mean, we're talking split decisions in a blink of an eye that even when you slow it down to replay, uh, you know, you're wondering, did, did, did he really come in contact with a helmet? You know, was he an inch above the shoulder? Was he an inch below? I mean, it, it's wild that we're throwing guys out for, for hits, and in particular when a ball carrier is lowering his head. I mean, what's a defender to do in a situation like that? So uh, at the end of the day, I, I kind of understand it because we're, we taken out of the game where, you know, back in the day, I remember these receivers, they were scared to death to go over the middle and for good reason because they get their, their head knocked off. And uh, we're not seeing that these days, and, and that is a good thing. But at the same time, we can't be throwing people out for, for clean hits, which we've seen far too often in recent college football history. Any big names out there still in the transfer portal that are looking to move on and get to their next destination? Uh, yeah, there was one guy that just jumped into the portal from uh, UCF, 
that he's a receiver, which I know Arkansas, if I was Arkansas, I'd be in on. Uh, there was uh, the Arizona State freshman All-American that apparently apparently Florida's already on. His name's Eric Gentry. That's a name to keep your eye out on. And, uh, man, it's wild. As soon as these guys go into the portal, it seems like a day or two later they have their destination. So, you know, I think this is certainly a situation where guys do not go into the portal unless they've already got their next destination already in mind. And I think Arkansas fans have unfortunately already seen that uh, last off season and, and even this off season, so um, these guys don't stay in the portal for very long. Yeah, it was another thing that we, you know you could have talked about rules and all that is like tampering, you know, if you want to call it that when it comes to the transfer portal. That's something that absolutely goes on, and you wish it wouldn't, but at the same time, you can't really do anything to change it. Like there's just not a rule you can put into place uh, that's going to prevent that from happening. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, one thing I was talking to someone about the other day, I would love to see, I'm all for players getting in the transfer portal and being eligible immediately, but I would love to see windows to where you can go in and windows you can't. And one window I would really love to see you can't go into the portal is as soon as fall camp starts and during the regular season because you can't even transfer out and play anywhere now anyways if you were to leave during training camp, and you just never know when your opportunity is going to arrive. So if your team's thin at a position and they lose a player, your number may be called upon. Yet if you jump in that portal and you're out, it hurts the team, it hurts you because you can't even play. Um, so, you know, again, I, I like to see the transfer portal and I like the players to have the ability, but I just would not – I think they need to shut it down during the season just, just to kind of put a pause on some of that. Well, Mike, we always appreciate you coming on with us, man. Enjoy the rest of spring, dude, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.